We'll turn to the book of Jude. Jude is a tiny little book you've probably never been to. It's at the end of the Bible, right before Revelation. One chapter, 23 or 24 verses. We're going to read chapter, uh, verse 20. Somebody ever starts preaching out of the fifth chapter of Jude, you have a problem, all right? And then find Mark, um, the second gospel, Mark chapter 2, and we're going to look at two passages of Scripture. Now, preaching is a dialogue. It's me talking to you, and it's you talking to me. Some of you are not used to this, but I will be so much better if, as I talk to you, you talk back to me. This is a conversation we're going to have together. So as God is speaking to you, I'm going to start asking you guys to say, amen, or yes, sir, or whatever you want to say, but I want to hear from you back so I know I'm not just talking out to air. You guys with me? You ready? All right. Let's go to Jude and look at that verse 20. Last week, I started a series called Unwavering Faith. It's not about your circumstances, not about how you, uh, your situations, about how you feel about them. It's about uh, unwavering faith in the midst of those things, that you should not consider it strange when you uh, uh, encounter adversity and difficulty and opposition. It was a very transparent, very powerful message that really addressed um, all of these things and built a platform for what I'm about to share today. As really hundreds of us, I think, said, yes, there are times in my life when my faith has quivered, has been shaken, maybe even come to a breaking point, but I want to build on the foundation I laid last week. And in Jude chapter 1, look what it says. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And my focus is in verse 20, but you, beloved, that's you. He's talking to you. You're beloved of God. You're a a follower of Christ, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Now, to Mark, the second chapter. And when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and the word just spread. I mean, there were so many people gathered together. Uh, They came to the house where he was staying that there was no more room, not even at the door. Jesus hasn't even opened his mouth, and people hear that he is in the house, and people come expecting, because they know when Jesus is in the house, something is going to happen. And that's why it's so important, the power of expectation. Jesus begins to speak, and he preaches the word to them, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they'd made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And now say verse 5 with me. And when Jesus saw their faith, let's say that again. And when Jesus saw their faith, I wonder if Jesus looked at you today, what would he see? Because apparently faith is not just a matter of the heart, as you've always thought. That faith, there's something physical, there's something tangible, there is something that Jesus actually saw. And Jesus saw their faith. And he said to the paralytic, son... Your sins are forgiven. You know what? I shouldn't be preaching just yet, but isn't it amazing that he actually says he saw their faith. 
You'd think that he'd be moved with compassion on how sad the situation was or how sorry the situation was. Or maybe he was moved by their tears, but it doesn't say that. It said he was moved by their faith. Maybe he's not going to be moved by how sad your situation is or how sorry your situation is, but it says he saw their faith. And then he said to him, son, your sins are forgiven. And then uh, there were some of the scribes who started to question Uh, in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Which Jesus was. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, he said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know, I mean, in spite of the critics and in spite of your unbelief and in spite of how impossible the situation looks, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he arose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Let's pray together. Now, God, we come before you, our Heavenly Father. I'm asking you, Lord, to help us hear you, break through the walls we know we have and the walls we don't know that we have. Lord, it's so important that your Spirit would speak today, and so empty me of myself and Fill me once again with your Holy Spirit, and may all of us hear what your Spirit is saying to us, and may we obey. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's go. The book of Jude is very definitive in what it says, but you, beloved, building up yourselves in your most holy faith. It shifts the responsibility of building yourself and your faith to you. This is not some casual attitude that we approach the building of faith as if we had no personal responsibility. Well, you know, if God wants me to have more faith or uh, I guess I'll just get it somehow or maybe he'll give it to me. Oh, no. Jude makes us understand that there is a progression of faith that we have to build upon and that we assume the responsibility for building. Your faith is not going to be built through divine osmosis. Your faith is not going to be built like you catch the flu. Okay, He says that you're going to have to build up your most holy faith. And the word building up is an architectural term, which means to renovate, to actually go in and tear down what isn't working, and to build back what is working, to renovate your faith. When you build something, there's always intentionality that goes with building. It, it doesn't just happen. This sanctuary that we have, this building did not just happen by accident. It's not just a random gathering of of concrete and steel and framework and drywall. I mean, there was a plan. There was uh, uh, some architectural plans. There was a commitment of time and energy to think it through. And then there was a financial commitment. And then there was a foundation that was laid, that was appropriate to the weight of what would be built. And then there was steel. And then there was a, uh, a structure and a framework and drywall. And all of that went in intentionally and specifically. And so if faith is going to be built into your life, what the book of Jude and what the word of God to you is, is that it's going to take the same kind of intentionality. That it's going to come when you make a priority that your faith will be built and that you'll take responsibility to build your faith and progress one level after another. Now, the Bible says in the book of Romans, it tells us that 
all of us ought to think very soberly and very clear-headed. We ought to evaluate ourselves with, with, with a very clear judgment according to the measure of faith that God has given us. Okay, so you already have some faith. In fact, you couldn't go through life without a measure of faith. God has given every one of you a measure of faith. You got up this morning and you uh, started your car with the expectation that it would start, by faith it was going to start. You had the expectation that you would drive here safely. You arrived and came into the room, and you didn't get down on your hands and knees to look and see if the chair would support you. You actually sat down quite comfortably, and you believed that the chair would hold you up, because you already have a measure of faith in general. But we can always build our faith to the more practical areas. Now think of faith like a muscle. All of us have been given muscle tissue, tendons, ligaments. We all have muscles, but what we do with it is what counts. Uh, What we do with that muscle is up to us. We can build on it. We can become stronger. We can become more flexible. We can become more capable and more competent. Or we can do nothing, and over time, our muscle tone, they tell us, will deteriorate. So you're either building or you're deteriorating. In the same way, every believer is dealt or given a measure of faith, but Jude goes beyond what Paul says, and he says, you have to take responsibility uh, to build up upon the measure of faith that's been given to you. And I talked to you last week about all the guilt and the discouragement and the frustration we feel uh, because of the opposition and the attacks we face. Now, we really shouldn't be surprised as if something strange were happening to us but that we're going to face these things and they're going to come into our life. And so it's no wonder when we would look at the news and we would see the chaos in the world and we would begin to shake. And really not just the chaos in the world, but we look in our own lives and in our own minds and in our own spirits and we we see and we feel and we experience that chaos that our faith is going to quiver and our faith is going to shake and start to deteriorate. And if we're not careful, it'll deteriorate and we're not even going to notice it. You can find yourself becoming bitter and slowly becoming cynical and slowly getting to the point in your attitude where you're not even the same person that you used to be. And you don't even know exactly how you got there, but other people can notice it. The gleam has gone out of your eye and the joy has gone out of your step and the peace has left your spirit and you're not even sure exactly when it happened. But like the rushing waters after a flood, there has been an erosion of your faith. And unless you do something to shore it up, to build it up, to strengthen your faith, you become, by default, bitter and cynical and depressed and discouraged. And ultimately, faith will deteriorate. Now, here are some signs that you know that can help you know if your faith is deteriorating. If whenever you face all your problems and you just trust your plans to get you out, it's a sign that your faith is deteriorating. If... Whenever you face obstacles and crisis and dilemmas and your confidence is just in the people around you, it's a sign that your faith is deteriorating. Whenever you face an obstacle in your life and you immediately reach for your wallet or your credit card or you believe that every opposition or every problem you face in life could be solved if only you had more economic resources, it's a sign that your faith is deteriorating. Pretty soon we can be left with no firm, solid foundation to build our lives upon. But this word of the Lord to you says that you can build up your most holy faith. How? 
the scripture says, by praying in the Spirit. In other words, praying with an absolute awareness of God, that he is actually present, and that there is actually a power that is higher than you. Jude is teaching us, don't be so preoccupied uh, with the tangibles and the physical issues of life that we fail to recognize that there actually is a higher power, a God who rules and reigns and controls and intervenes in all the circumstances and situations of life, a God that is bigger than you, that has more power and authority than you. This is going to get really good, I'm telling you. In fact, here's the thing, what I know. People who have, uh, have a problem with this, people who think that they are in charge, they're the ones who have an issue with what I just said. You can be so ego-driven that you can't be faith-driven. You, you, there are people who believe that the buck stops with just them, that they're really the CEO of the universe. Even people who deal with depression are often simply dealing with the fact that things are not going the way they want them to go. Hello? When everything goes wrong, you think it's your fault. When the children grow up and do something crazy or wrong and you blame yourself as if they had no other influences in their life. I mean, just think of it. If you're in control, then your faith is in yourself. And if you live very long at all, I mean like a day or like two days, you will disappoint yourself, right? Isn't that true? And if you can disappoint yourself as much as you love yourself, then why are you so shocked when people that you love disappoint you? You soon have to realize that there are some things that are beyond your control. And if you don't understand this, you will go through life trying to just make it happen on your own. You'll be taking life uh, as it just happens. I've got to deal with it as it occurs. It's, if it's going to be, it's up to me. And so you face life with this sort of take it like a man, take it like a woman, and you just sort of power up unaware that what's really going on is a victimization mentality that over time makes you into a person that's just a survivor instead of a succeeder. That's the truth. And so we've got to approach this story as not just Jesus healing a paralytic. There's so much more. In reality, we don't know this man. We don't know who he is to us. But his point of being in the scripture is to inspire us about the very circumstances and conditions that we face. The gospels were written that we would have a witness of who Christ is and and what he did. But it's not just about what Jesus did and what Jesus said. It's about who he is now and what he wants to do in our life and in our circumstances and in our situations. And so these stories aren't just given as historical narratives. They are given to us that they might be the conduit uh, that we could appropriate the full grace of God into our lives. You understand what I'm saying? So you may not be paralyzed, but there is some area in your life where you are incapacitated. There's some area in your life where you're not living up to the full measure of what God has planned for you. You've not reached the full purpose of God for your life. So let's get real. I don't know about you, but I don't like to be vulnerable. I don't like to admit I have need. I mean, I know it's necessary, and I'm working on it, and I know that it's important, and I need to do it, and I'm in a small group, and I'm right with you and all of that. But I don't like it. Do you? I don't want to have, I don't want to be needy on somebody else. We're all wired to have this sense where we're going to stand on our own two feet, and we're going to make it on our own, and I don't need anybody else. I mean, it is part of just being American uh, to be an individual person that can make it on our own. But 
you know, in fact, I don't even like to, I, I want to go where I want to go. I don't need anybody taking me for a ride. I want to leave when I want to leave, right? I don't want to be dependent. All of us are this way. But there will come a place in our life where we get hit so hard by our adversity, by our obstacles, that there's going to come a place where we're uh, diminished in our freedom and our mobility is reduced and we're not able to do what we want to do and we start to feel pretty vulnerable and we get scared. The, the question is, will we admit it? Will we ever admit that we have a need? That's the real question. What is so fascinating to me about this story is that this guy recognized that he had a need and that he couldn't do it alone. And so over time, he had built a community of faith around him for people who could carry some weight. And I just wonder, is there anyone around you who can carry some weight? Some of you are fine when it comes to being on the giving end of a relationship, but you have a very hard time being on the receiving end of the relationship, right? And that's why you've only gone as far as you can go because that's as far as your own two legs can carry you. But I want you to be aware this morning of a very subtle spirit of pride that creeps into our life that says you don't need anybody else. And you just get satisfied with where you are, having come only as far as you've gone when you should have gone a lot further in life. But you need the faith of five to get you there instead of the faith of one to get to the level of where God wanted you to be. Some of you have heard me talk for years about this. Like, you cannot be who God meant you to be without a small group of people, a group of Christ followers where you will share your life with them and them with you, and your faith will inspire one another. But you'll never get to the level of where God wants you to be with just the faith of one. Are you listening to me? Are you there? If you can't say amen, say ouch. (laughs) This man couldn't walk. He had hope, though, that if he could get himself into the presence of Jesus, that something was going to happen. And he had some help. He had some people that would help him get there. And that foundation became uh, the incubator for a miracle. Now, imagine this. These, these friends, these, they're so, what, a, what a group of people they were, that they would carry him literally for miles down the road, carrying a pallet, letting the weight uh, make an indentation in their shoulder as they would carry him mile after mile after mile only to get to their destination and come to a place of failure. Like, we can't get in. There's no way we're going to, to, to get in now that we've come this far. You see, there's no opposition on the journey. They're, the highway is smooth. They're getting close, but it's when they get the closest to their miracle that they face their greatest opposition. It's when they're absolutely tired and worn out that the greatest opposition comes. You'll face your greatest opposition when you are the closest to the miracle that God has for you. Ultimately, because, again, the enemy is after your faith. He set up opposition to deter your faith. He's designed a test that you would flunk it and that you would be discouraged. But you see, real faith must always pass the test of discouragement. That's why the Bible says, let us not grow weary in doing good, because we will reap if we do not give up. But it takes more than the faith of one to not give up. You have to go through a period where you got to go through that, where you want to quit. It's part of the journey. 
I mean, if you're in, if you're in anything and you don't want to quit, then you're not in much. <laughs> it's part of the journey. The enemy is going to set up a trap to discourage you because he knows that there's something on the other side that's so awesome that if you could just push through, that you're going to come into the very purpose that God would have for your life. If you're facing any obstacle like that in your life, you should say to yourself, I must be close. I must be close. Now, here's the part that's so amazing to me. Look at this. These guys now have come to a total halt. They cannot get in, but it's the combined faith of five that gives them even the option for this guy to receive his miracle because they say to themselves, well, I guess the only way we're going to go forward and get in front of Jesus is to get to the roof, and this guy is not going there by himself. It takes the faith of five to put this guy in a place where he could actually receive what God had for him. I want to ask you, who are your roof people? Who are the people that God has put in your life? Who are the people that you have built relationships with to encourage your faith where there is no other option, but somehow when there's five and and they get together and their faith begins to work and they say, you know what, I have an idea, and together they say, yes, I think that can be done. You can almost feel the second wind come into them as they lift. I mean, it's hard, it's, it's uh, painful, it's uh, dangerous, it's uncomfortable to lift a full-grown man up onto the roof, but it's got to be done. I mean, there's no other way. We've not come this far and been through all this together and to have come to this to turn back now. That's the faith of five. Who are your roof people? And so you understand that Jesus is speaking and he's talking and suddenly there's this noise and straw and wood begins to come down and light begins to come into the room and there's a, there's a movement of hands and a, and a hole big enough to lower a man is revealed and they drop this guy down. And the scriptures say when Jesus saw their faith, when he saw their tangible obedience, when he saw their act of faith, that's when this man got the, to the first level of faith. And if you're writing, I want you to write these down. The first level of faith, the first thing that faith does, number one, is the faith for forgiveness of sins. Look what he says to him. He's dropped in front of him and he says, son, your sins are forgiven you. Now Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, a very famous scripture that we all know. But listen to this. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It's the gift of God so that no one may boast. It's God's gift to you, but in so much as you have the faith to get here, I have the grace to forgive. You wouldn't have received forgiveness just by grace alone. It's his grace plus your faith because you're saved by grace through faith, and that's the gift of God. And so this, he sees their faith. He shows up, and he says, you're, you're, I've got grace to give to you. Son, your sins are forgiven. And that's the first level of faith, where God moves you out of the kingdom of darkness and takes you into the kingdom of his dear son, where you are positionally transferred into a state of grace that you never had before, where you're positionally now justified in the eyes of God. That In God's eyes, it's just as if you've never sinned. Oh, you're still in the same condition. But right now, because of your faith and because of the grace I have to give you, you are positionally made right in the eyes of God. That's an incredible thing. 
Now, a lot of people just get stuck right there. That's all they know. They're saved. Their eternity is secured, and that's all they really know. But the second level of faith, God wants to speak to the condition of your circumstances. And some people, uh, all they want to do is say, God, help me with this, and speak to my condition, and help my circumstances. And God says, yeah, but you've never dealt with your position. I mean, you've got to come to the point where you say, God, take my life that you surrender your life and you say, God, the first step of faith is that I get my position right with you. That's the first step of faith. That you move, uh, you can't receive the promises of God until you become an heir of the promises. So you've got to make, become his child, a legitimate heir, saved, positionally justified. But the second level of faith, he says to the man, I say to you, rise, rise. It can be better than where you are now. And if he'd have never got up, if he'd have never obeyed the word of the Lord, his sins would have still been forgiven, and positionally he was right with God, but his condition would have remained the same. But Jesus said, I want to change your circumstances, and he says, rise. And this is what I call faith for the abundant life. Faith for the abundant life. You'd be shocked at the Christians who are saved but still broke. They're saved, but they're totally unhappy. They're saved, but they're just stuck. Yeah, they're saved, but their conditions have never changed because they're just stuck in the first level of faith. And many have only been taught that. But Jesus wants to speak to your condition. Yes, he does. Somebody say amen. amen. I'm God enough to forgive you. I'm God enough to save you. I'm God enough to raise you. If he can give you eternal life, he can give you abundant life. If you believe God can save you positionally, why don't you believe that he can raise you out of your conditions? Listen, when he saw their faith, when he saw the tangible uh, evidence of faith, that's when he was raised up. So how do we get out of our conditions? Well, not by praying, God, change my conditions. That's not the answer. And you've prayed that before, and how's it working for you? It's, here's the issue. Will you take him at his word and do what he says? That's the second level of faith. Now, we have it so much better than this guy. We have the entire word of God that is filled with all kinds of promises that address the conditions of our life. But do you have the faith to simply do what the word of God says to do? This word spells out how to, have, uh, a, how to be blessed in your conduct and uh, be blessed in your job and have blessed relationships and how to have a blessed marriage and how to be blessed in your finances. And in every case, the word of the Lord says, if you'll come and do this, this, that I will do what you can't do. You come to me and do what I say, and I will pour out blessing upon you. It's, it's, the, it's the incredible promise of God that he gives to his children. You follow me, you do what I say, and I will give you the abundant life. You see, let's just take, for example, the area where we're all stressed out, which is our finances. And God says, you know, I've saved you, but if you'll now put me first in your life, See, if you have to put yourself first, you can be saved, you can be forgiven, and you can never go to the second level of faith. Only by obedience. If you obey what I say, then I'll bless you. He is the rewarder of those who seek after him. But the number one reason that people don't tithe is because they say, Pastor, I, I can't afford to tithe. I've heard that, and it's absolutely true. You'll never, ever be able to afford it until you tithe. 
You can never afford to tithe until you tithe. Why? Because according to the word of God, we live under a curse and tithing removes the curse. And you live under a curse and you know it's true because you just start to get ahead, saved or not, and something breaks. You're back where you started. And you're not suffering according to the will of God. You're suffering according to the consequences of the curse. And so I'm saying this to you as someone who loves you, who wants every member of our church to be free from the curse and to go to the second level of faith. God, if you'll, if you'll just do what the word of God says and put him to the test by faith, which he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Test me in this. Put your faith in action. Be tangible about it. And see if I won't pour out a blessing upon you that you won't have room to contain it. It's the word of the Lord. And he says to you, rise. And we have the faith to do it. You see, there's so many promises in God's word like that, how to address every area of your life. And he would say to you, and the word of God has come to you this morning, rise. And if you have the faith to receive it and say, yes, I will, you go to the next level of faith. That's the word of the Lord. But wait, there's more. There's a third level of faith that he says here. Not just, son, your sins are forgiven. Not just rise. But then he says, pick up your bed. And this is so good. You're going to be glad you came just for this today. By faith, you take hold of the thing that had taken hold of you. I call this the faith to live with a contradiction. Amen. The faith to live with contradiction is the third level of faith. You see, the bed had him, but now he has the power to pick up the bed. This is, this is great. This is what church people don't like to admit, that you can be saved, that you can be raised, you can be living in the abundant life, and you still have the bed. You know what the bed is? The bed is the reminder. It's the tangible evidence of what your life used to be like. And so why not just get rid of it? Why does he say pick up the bed? Why not just leave it behind? It is the contradictions that in your life that keep you humble, that keep you dependent. The stuff in your life that seemingly doesn't fit with everything else and all of the blessing. Oh, I just wish I had time to go into this more and spend time on this because every one of us has an area in our life where we are conflicted in some way where we're incapacitated in some way. God, how could you bless me so much and then still let me have this issue? Am I the only one that's ever prayed this prayer? When you have faith to live the abundant life, when you start to obey the word of the Lord and God says, now, rise, and you start to obey that, the order that comes into your life and the blessing that comes into your life will be tangible. I'm the living witness of that. And I'll tell you this, We pray that prayer, you know, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God says, well, in my kingdom, there's order, there's precision. It goes exactly the way I want it. So when you invite God in and say, God, you're in charge. You call the shots, bring your order to my world, you will be blessed. It's just the truth. But God will stick you and leave you with one little thing left in your life. There will be this one thing that you can't seem to get rid of, and God will leave you a reminder that you still need him. And that's a level of grace all by itself. Some of you have been asking God, take away the bed. Take away this thorn out of my flesh. Take away this problem. You know, fix this. Uh, Do this one thing. Get rid of this. And God says, no, 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 no. I am going to keep this bed around you so that you will always be uh, mindful of what I have brought you out of. 
And as I begin to take you higher, and as I begin to bless your life, and as you begin to live abundantly, there's got to be something in your life that keeps you grounded, that keeps you humble, that keeps you sober, that keeps you on your knees, and keeps you dependent, and forces you into the accountability with a group of others, that you'll say, God, I need you. God, I need you. Pick up your bed. He's going to want to keep your pride in check. He doesn't want to be so puffed up and so arrogant that nobody wants to be around you. Oh, God, if it wasn't for what you've done. And he'll leave you with that reminder. Pick up your bed. Do you have the faith in this third level to live with a contradiction? Or does that make you doubt God and quit? Do you have the faith to live with a secret frustration? God, how can you use me in the life of so many people, but my prayers in this one area are impotent? What if I have faith for all this other stuff that I can be incapacitated by this situation? God, if you're really in my life, why wouldn't you just take it away? And that's why God says, no. The sign that I've given you is all of the blessing that you see. Look at the order. Look at the blessing I've put on your life. I've blessed you in spite of the bed, but I've blessed you to carry it so that you will really know that it's not by might nor by power, but it is by my spirit says the Lord. That's the word of the Lord. That's God's word to you today. And these are the levels of faith that you got to build into your life. The faith, you know, son, your sins are forgiven. Faith for the forgiveness of sin. Rise. The faith to actually start to do the word of God and to live the abundant life that is promised to you if you'll actually obey him. Pick up your bed. The faith to live with that contradiction. And the last one, number four, he says to him, go home. The fourth thing he told him to do was to have faith for his household, that what you have here, take it back home. What he's done for you, it's on its way to your house. What he's done for you, he can have for your whole family. And you can believe God for the total transformation of your entire family. I've got to stop. We're out of time. But I want to ask you, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? What is he saying? Where are you stuck? Who, who are your roof people? Maybe you've never built that into your life. Do you wish you had a rock-solid, strong faith that I could just believe that I'm not living out some random series of events, but God has a plan and a purpose for my life? Listen, he does, and it's more than you could ever imagine, but you can't get there with the faith of one. It's going to take more than just one. And so are you willing to take that next step of faith? There are some things in your life that money cannot fix. There are some enemies in your life that you can't fight on your own. There are some things that you uh, can't solve, no matter how many books you read or what you find on the Internet. You're going to need faith. You're going to need unwavering faith. And you need faith in God. And that faith comes when you simply say, I'm not holding the steering wheel anymore. God, I will let you direct me. I'll let you drive. I'll come along for the ride now. You have total access. Whatever you say, I'll do. Wherever you lead me, I'll go. Whatever you want from me, God, I say yes. Saving faith, the abundant life faith, the faith to trust God in spite of the contradictions and faith to believe it's not just about you but for everybody in your world this is the these this is what god wants to build into your life 
And will you say yes to him wherever you are in your spiritual journey? That's my prayer for you, and I hope you'll receive it today. Let's all pray together. Heavenly Father, wherever we are right now, may that total prayer of this room be a humble, yes, God. Yes, God. Yes, God, I say yes to you. If you're far from God and you don't know him, you, you, you know him as a little kid, but you've drifted, you haven't talked in a while, you've said, man, if you knew what I've done, the mess I've made, the mistakes I've made, God, God certainly can't love me. Well, listen, God brought you here today to hear him say to you, son, your sins are forgiven. Receive it by faith. You came into his house, receive it. And for some of you, you've just gotten stuck. You believe God has saved you, but man, you, you're having such a hard time just obeying the simple word of the Lord. I say to you today, rise, rise and say yes, obey. For those of you discouraged by your condition, by your bed, God, I pray you'd fill them with faith. May they receive peace and may they trust you, thank you and praise you instead, choosing to rejoice for the humility and the strength you're bringing and building into their life. And Lord, we just praise you for what you're gonna do in our families. So God, we say yes to you on every level today. I hope that's the prayer of every person in this room. And if that's your prayer, you say, yes, God, that's me. That's me he's talking about. Father, we give you praise and glory and honor for your incredible word. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give God thanks for his great word.